But one of the things that is kind of odd um, about being a, a follower of Jesus is that it's all about um, having a relationship um, with a, a, an invisible person. Right now, let's just kind of stop and think about that for a minute. I mean, that, that's, um, this is kind of strange, isn't it? Because the truth is, it's hard enough to have a relationship um, with visible people, right? In fact, one of the things that probably all of us have, uh, have learned uh, and been reminded of after going through everything that we've been through together this past year um, is that it's really difficult. It is really difficult to remain connected to people, right, when you don't actually see them regularly. So how in the world are we supposed to actually have a relationship with an invisible person? And yet, as you follow Jesus and as you continue to follow Jesus, as you um, read through the Scriptures, it becomes um, just incredibly evident that at the center of everything that we believe, it's all about having a relationship with an invisible God through His invisible Son. In fact, the vision of our church is to bring Jesus into every relationship, um, but, but how do you do that exactly? I mean, what does that look like? What does that even, um, what does that feel like? And see, the truth is, is that if all of us, if we actually lived several thousand years ago, if we would have lived during the Old Testament times, then in many ways, it actually would have been a lot simpler because, um, because then it was kind of a, a one-size-fits-all uh, approach, right? There, were, uh, there was a, a system for everything, right? Um, you, you spent a certain number of weeks every year um, celebrating these certain festivals, and then there were other celebrations that everybody did together, and then once a, uh, once a year, the, the high priest would actually go inside the Holy of Holies and and he would go and, you know, um, get forgiveness, right, for the entire nation. The whole nation um, got forgiven all at the same time. And then, and then they'd all begin a brand new year, and they'd go out and start you know, racking up more sin, right? And they'd do all of it together. And there were, there were, there were rules for everything. Um, right? It was very complicated. It was very regimented. It was very um, regulated. There were rules about what to do if you did what you weren't supposed to do. Um, there were rules about what you were to do if you didn't do what you were supposed to do. Right? It was not very relational, it was very ritualistic, it was very regimented, it was very complicated. Um, you never had to ask the question, um, God, do you love me? Right? Or God, um, are you with me? Because anytime those questions just entered your mind, you could immediately just pull out your, your list and you would look and you would know immediately, right? You would know immediately um, where it is that you stood with God. But then Jesus came along and Jesus said, okay, I, I am the fulfillment of the whole law, right? My death is the fulfillment of the sacrificial system. No more sheep, no more goats, right? No more bulls, no more, no more dead pigeons all over the place, right? No more animal sacrifice. I am the Lamb of God, Jesus said, and my blood, it will be shed not just to cover your sin, no, but it will be shed to take away and to actually forgive your sin. That from this point forward, Jesus said, our relationship with God would no longer be based on how well we kept the rules, but it would actually be based on our faith that Jesus kept all the rules, that He paid for all the rules that we've broken. That you don't have to go to the temple anymore, Jesus said. You don't have to go to Jerusalem. Um, you don't have to sacrifice anymore. All of that is going away. And then Jesus went away. But before he left, he said, I'll always be with you, right? And then he was gone. It's no, no wonder, right? No, no wonder um, this is difficult for us at times. 
But before Jesus left, he said, okay, I'm going to send one to be with you. In fact, I'm going to send one to be in you. And, and when you read through the New Testament, right, it is just incredibly evident um, that from the Old Testament to the New Testament that there has been a tremendous change. There has been a tremendous um, shift that things are, are new. And instead of approaching God through some kind of a one-size-fits-all approach that was very regulated and very ritualistic and very routine, suddenly we are all invited into an individual relationship with our Heavenly Father. Suddenly we're invited into a unique experience of faith. It may be somewhat surprising if you kind of stop and think about this for a moment, but nowhere in the New Testament, right, nowhere in the New Testament do we actually find a, a prescription um, for how exactly this is to take place, how this is exactly is supposed to happen. And even though probably all of us in this room um, would, would agree that having, and especially those of you watching at home and, and listening right now, probably all of us would agree that having a relationship um, with God is better than just having a, a series of complicated rituals or, or a to-do list or something. Um, the truth is, many times we do try to bring all of that stuff back into our relationship with God, and when we do, what we discover is that many times things don't actually end up going very well, that our relationship suddenly starts to, to feel stale, um, that our relationship starts to fade in many ways, which really shouldn't surprise us if we kind of stop and think about it for a moment, because, um, because as anyone who's ever been in any kind of a relationship knows, you don't conduct a relationship, right, with a list. I mean, I don't wake up in the morning and roll over and look at Autumn and say, okay, um, good morning, honey, how are you? Right? It's not, I mean, that's not how it works. And so, we've been invited into a relationship with a, an invisible God, an invisible person, and we haven't been given a whole lot of detail on how to actually conduct that relationship. But what the Scripture does make incredibly clear is how that relationship begins, which, again, makes a lot of sense because, um, because in any relationship, somebody has to make um, the first move, right? And the, our relationship with Jesus actually began when, when Jesus offered to exchange um, His life for yours, and He offered to exchange um, His righteousness for, for your sin. We can only um, get to God through Jesus, but once that relationship begins… Right? Once that relationship happens, um, then what? I mean, how do you actually have a relationship um, with an invisible person? And see, the world's most famous prayer, the Lord's Prayer, was actually given to us by Jesus for this very purpose. In fact, um, our English word for prayer, our English word prayer comes from the Latin word um, precarious. And, and many times um, we pray right? Because life is precarious. Life is marvelous. I prayed the day that each of my sons were born. I prayed when I got to hold each of them in my arms for the very first time. I prayed um, when Autumn was too weak to hold either of them. And I prayed the day that she was once again strong enough to tackle them both at the same time. To say that to be human is to pray is an understatement. 
And so the question really for us isn't why we pray, right? The question really is how and to whom? How do we keep from drifting into or how do we keep from drifting back into? Because maybe this is where some of you are at today. How how do you keep from drifting into just having a relationship that's nothing more than a list of do's and don'ts? How do you keep it personal? How does it actually stay relational? And while none of us would probably argue with the fact that, that, that Jesus, right, the greatest person who ever lived, um, was first and foremost a person of prayer, the real question for us, right, is, is how do we do it? How, how do we keep it up when there's so much hype surrounding it? even hypocrisy? How how do we keep it fresh when, to be honest, all of us at some point in time, probably many times, just kind of feel like giving it all up? Jesus Himself actually warns us very clearly and very specifically about not getting too complicated when it comes to the subject of of prayer. He says this, um, He says, the world right? This is amazing. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your heavenly Father you're dealing with, and He knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, right, you can pray very simply. And then Jesus goes on from here to give a, a very simple a very memorable, a very um, repeatable way to pray that in the original language was actually only 31 words long. A a prayer that is simple enough for anyone to memorize and yet profound enough to guide a, a lifetime of relationship. But see, here's the inescapable truth about prayer that's actually modeled to us by Jesus that's demonstrated and explained through all the New Testament authors by all the New Testament Scriptures, the truth is we cannot, right, you and I, none of us, we cannot grow in our relationship with God without some measure of effort, discomfort, self-discipline, and self-denial. Anyone who says otherwise is selling you something. As followers of Jesus, if we only pray when we feel like it, the truth is our faith, it may survive, but our faith will never thrive. And see, at the heart of all prayer, and especially the Lord's Prayer, is actually asking our Heavenly Father, it's asking God for help. Right? It is no coincidence that in the middle of these 31 very simple words, we find repeated petitions asking for God's help. He, he tells us, to, Jesus tells us to, to ask for God to deliver us, right? to forgive us, to, to lead us, and to give us. In fact, it's Jesus' own brother James who, who says, listen, um, the reason why you do not have, it's because you don't ask. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus and His disciples are in the city of Jericho, and as they're getting ready to leave in verse 46, 
Um, Mark recalls for us, and he tells us that Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, they were all leaving the city when a blind man named Bartimaeus um, was sitting by the roadside begging. Now, this was a very familiar scene, especially in a a large city like Jericho. And when Bartimaeus heard um, that it was Jesus of Nazareth who, who was passing by, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, this is really important because um, son of David is a very specific, is a very um, significant and meaningful title. Um, This man Bartimaeus, um, he may be blind, but he can clearly see who Jesus is, right? Bartimaeus knows Jesus' identity. Now, many um, in the crowd actually rebuked Bartimaeus and told him um, to be quiet, but he just shouted all the more, "Um, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Not only does he know Jesus' identity, but he also knows his character. And so Jesus, he stopped, verse 49, and he said, call him, call him. So they said to, the, to, the to Bartimaeus, the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, Jesus is calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet, and he came to Jesus. And then Jesus asked Bartimaeus a very um, surprising and a somewhat shocking question, because he looks at Bartimaeus, and he says to him, okay, so um, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? I mean, wasn't, wasn't Bartimaeus' need obvious? I mean, wasn't it obvious to every man, woman, and child who ever passed him by? What do you want me, Jesus said, to do for you? And so Bartimaeus tells him. He says, Rabbi, I want to see. And so Jesus Jesus healed him. And Jesus said to Bartimaeus, go. Your faith has healed healed you. Immediately, um, Bartimaeus received his sight, and he followed Jesus along the road. Perhaps one of the biggest objections that's ever raised to the whole subject of asking God for anything is, doesn't he already know? Right? Doesn't he already know? In fact, um, didn't Jesus just tell us Um, just a few moments ago, that our Heavenly Father already knows everything um, that we need um, before we ask? Is this this Jesus just contradicting Himself? Or, Or is there maybe something more? Is there something perhaps that's going on here that Jesus actually wants us to understand about our Heavenly Father. I mean, what is it about our Heavenly Father um, that would lead Jesus to telling one group of people who are anxious and worried and fearful about the future that their Father knows exactly what they're going to need long before they need it? And yet, at the very same time, He he also seems to tell each of us very individually and very personally um, that that He actually wants us to come to our Heavenly Father um, and to to ask Him to provide, to give us this day our daily bread and to, to provide for our very real and our very obvious and very immediate need. What is it that Jesus wants us to know 
about our Heavenly Father. And see, that truth is that our Heavenly Father is intensely relational. Because asking, right, the very ask of, or very nature of asking is always um, much more relational than, than simply hoping um, or, or wishing, right? The very nature of asking is intensely relational, much more than just simply wishing or hoping um, could ever be, right? Asking uh, is, Jesus is always um, interested in personal connection, right? He's always much more interested in, in, in a personal connection with someone um, rather than just uh, anonymously dispensing blessing, right, to nameless and faceless souls, in fact, with a woman who's been, when a woman who's been suffering um, horribly for, for 12 years, when she um, approaches Jesus from w- within one of these massive crowds that Jesus was traveling through in a city, um, when she goes out to, to heal or to be healed, to, to just touch Jesus' cloak, knowing and thinking that if she, she just touches the hem of his garment, that she'll be instantly healed. Right? Jesus actually stops and he looks at her, he speaks to her. Right? He wants him to know that, that he wants her to know that she matters to him, that she is cared about by him. Jesus wants her to know that he is her savior personally. And just imagine if, if she or Bartimaeus were somehow kind of miraculously healed. Um, you know, by the, by the vapor of Jesus passing, right, as they kind of walk through the cloud anonymously, then neither of them would ever have met their Savior. And, and we, we would have no idea of either of their stories. Asking is always an act of vulnerability, right? Making a request of another person, that always, that's always um, an opportunity. It's actually an action of vulnerability. Um, It extends trust to the person who who is being asked. Asking is always an expression of faith because it's always an opportunity for our hearts to be open to believe, for our hands to receive something from our Heavenly Father. When Jesus tells each of us to make sure and to ask our Heavenly Father to give us this day our daily bread, He is reminding us to ask our Heavenly Father audaciously and repeatedly for everything, no matter how small, for everything that we will possibly need, expecting, expecting that our Heavenly Father will answer our prayer naturally, supernaturally, or by whatever means He sees fit. Perhaps no one um, better than George Mueller demonstrated the power uh, of asking our Heavenly Father for daily bread uh, more consistently and more dramatically throughout the course uh, of his life. George Mueller was actually um, a philanthropist. He was a pastor. He lived in England during the Industrial Revolution. Um, He started 117 schools cared for over 10,000 orphans, and educated more than 120,000 students all throughout, um, all throughout England, all throughout the country of England. And um, his legacy, right, George Mueller's legacy is made even more remarkable by the well-documented fact that instead of, a pu- of, of appealing publicly um, for the money that he needed to, to support and to fund his vast ministry, 
He solely relied on God and prayer to provide that needed funding. In fact, more than $97 million was raised. The equivalent of that in today's money was raised purely through the power of prayer by George Mueller and the people of his ministry. Now, this was demonstrated on one very famous occasion, this need to take the the prayer for our daily bread quite literally, um, because on one particular occasion, George Mueller actually um, came downstairs to a room filled with orphans, about 300 of them, and he gathered them all for breakfast, knowing that there was absolutely no food whatsoever in the kitchen. And so he sat them all down and he said grace and he thanked God for the food that God was going to provide that day. Not making this up, you can Google this. A few moments later, uh, there's a knocking on the front door and the local baker shows up carrying three trays of fresh baked bread and he goes on to explain that he has been up since 2 a.m. that morning baking that bread specifically for these orphans. A few moments after this, right, the milkman appears at the front door explaining that his cart filled with milk has broken down outside in front of the orphanage and he wants to know if anyone could make use of his low of milk before it spoils. And so that day, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children, they received their daily bread along with fresh milk, a reminder for the rest of their lives that their heavenly Father always answers our prayers, even our prayers, forgive us this day our daily bread. Now, in the book of Hebrews, the author of this, of this book um, reminds us and he describes for us the, the nature of this relationship that every one of us have been invited into. And he also gives to us a very particular phrase, a phrase that I want us to focus on um, because this kind of gives us that, that feeling component of, of what it is that prayer is supposed to be experienced like, how our Heavenly Father wants our prayer and our communication with Him to be experienced by us. He, he says this in verse 19. He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way that has been opened for us through the curtain that is Jesus' body, and since we have a great priest Over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in the full assurance that faith brings. Now, one of the challenges about talking about a subject like this one, like prayer, which is just the fact that prayer itself is so intensely personal. And one of the things that pastors, including me, um, can be so guilty of sometimes is to say, okay, um, here's how you um, draw near to God in prayer, right? Letter A, letter B, letter C. And then for each of you to kind of hear these amazing truths that we're going to listen up to and we're going to discover together over these next six weeks, and for you to hear these things through through my personality and my experience and my style um, and and my words and and my heart, and for you then to to hear all this and think to yourself, okay, um, this is how Joe said to to draw near to God. Um, And and I think, you know, odds are he's he's probably, um, maybe a little bit at least, close to God. So I'm just going to go out and I'm going to just go do whatever Joe did. And then see, for some of you, when you do that, right, when you experience that, um, you know what's going to happen? And maybe this is going to already be your experience. You're going to say something to yourself like, okay, um, I tried that. It didn't work for me. 
In fact, I, I felt like a failure. I, I felt foolish. I, I felt um, like a hypocrite, right? It didn't work. Um, either there's something wrong with me or there's something wrong with God. One of the most important and significant truths that all of us um, can incorporate into our prayer life and our drawing near, um, our drawing near to our Heavenly Father is that um, even though there is only one path to God, right, there will be multiple expressions on that path. That although prayer is essential for every single one of us as followers of Jesus, there's going to be certain expressions, there's going to be certain aspects, there's going to be certain experiences of prayer that are particularly meaningful to each of us individually, most likely because of where it is that we are personally or individually on that path. And just as we've all not been created the same, just as we all don't have the same personality or the same gifts or the same talents, our expression of drawing near to our Heavenly Father in prayer is going to look and it's going to feel different. And this is so incredibly important for us to understand as we begin this discussion together because if we miss this dynamic, right, if we miss this, then that actually has the potential to make, either, to make us either judgmental or defensive, right? Either we're going to end up thinking that my way is the way, and we're going to start judging other churches, and we're going to start judging other followers of Jesus, or we're going to get defensive, and when somebody else starts telling us about their experience with their Heavenly Father, or their experience in prayer, or what it is that God is doing in their life personally, our tendency is going to, to think, okay, well, that wasn't my experience, and so either there's something wrong with God, or there's something wrong with me. In fact, the truth is, um, this might actually explain why some of you bailed out of church earlier um, at some point in your life. Right? Because you went to a church um, and your parents loved it and your older sister loved it, um, but, but you, it wasn't your style. Right? And you assumed, um, maybe you were even told, that style and God were synonymous, right? that spirituality and God um, were synonymous, but, but you didn't click with, with those people. Right? You didn't click um, with that environment. Right? You didn't click with that experience, and so consequently, um, you not only walked away from church, you, you walked away from your Heavenly Father. Right? What a mistake. How heartbreaking. There is one path to the Father, which is through Jesus, but on that path, there will be multiple expressions of our love and there will be multiple expressions of drawing near to our Heavenly Father. And as we're going to discover over the next several weeks, one of the things um, that, that we hope for all of you, right, is that there are a number of things that regardless of our, our personality or styles that all of us should be involved in, especially when it comes to prayer and to our relationship with our Heavenly Father, but the expression of each of those things is going to be very, very different for many of us. Twenty years ago, 20 years ago, an author by the name of Gary Thomas wrote a book um, that has become a classic called Sacred Pathways. In fact, this book was just um, republished this past year. If you're looking for a devotional book to read during the season of Lent or to listen to during Lent, this would be a great book for, for you to read, for you to listen to. You can get it on Audible. You can get it on Amazon. Um, but in this book, Gary describes nine different patterns that people tend to express in their drawing near to God. 
Now, these are not biblical categories, right? These are just simply um, patterns that Gary has, has himself observed. And the first time I read this book, which was probably 15 years ago or so, I, I thought, this is awesome, right? This is awesome because you're always going to get all of this stuff just through, through my grid, right? Because I'm just one of the nine. I, I am not all nine. And so, consequently, one of the things that we're doing very intentionally in this series is to make sure that RJ and Tony and Harry and me, that each one of us are actually speaking on this topic and talking about what's meaningful to us personally and individually about prayer and about the Lord's Prayer, because we're hoping that for you, you not only hear all of these things from us, but you're actually encouraged to take this common ground, take these parts that are meaningful, and then to, to learn how to apply them and to draw near to our Heavenly Father through your unique pattern and your unique style, the way that your Heavenly Father has made you. So as we wrap up today, what I want to do really quick is just run through um, very briefly these nine patterns, and then I'm going to tell you how um, you can very easily discover which of these nine patterns is yours. The first is the naturalist. Right? The naturalist is the person who actually draws near to their heavenly Father when they're outside. Right? They, they read their Bible, um, they worship, but they feel closest to God when they're out in nature. The next is the sensate. The sensate is the person who draws near to God um, through the experience of their senses, right? Touch, smell, taste, feeling, hearing, right? Their senses actually energize them for worship. Third is the traditionalist. The traditionalist is the person who feels closest to God when they're experiencing those things of the past, when they're um, repeating certain, certain prayers, certain experiences, certain things that have been done repeatedly from, from centuries and centuries ago. For some people, these things are, are rich and meaningful, and yet for other people, these things feel um, like nothing more than obligation. Right? The ascetic, um, they, they actually draw near to their heavenly Father in silence and solitude and simplicity. But meanwhile, the activists, they actually feel closest to God when they're bringing about social change. When they um, feel like they are the hands and feet of Jesus bringing about change in society, that's when the activist feels closest to their heavenly Father. The caregiver, very similar to the activist, they feel closest when they're actually serving another person who's in need. Right, when they can be the hands and the feet of Jesus for a needy person, when they pour themselves out to serve someone, that's when they feel the most filled up. The enthusiasts, right, the enthusiasts, these people are God's cheerleaders, right? When you read in the Psalms, make a joyful noise to the Lord, right, these are the people who are making all the noise, right? Meanwhile, the activists are like, shh. And so, you know what the temptation is if you're um, not wired up this way, if this is not your pattern? It's to judge these people, right? Meanwhile, if this is the way that you're wired up and you look across the room and you see someone who's just kind of standing there um, and they're not really singing and, and, and you don't see them, you know, responding somehow, you know what the temptation is? It's to think that that person isn't even trying, that they're not even trying to connect, with their Heavenly Father. The enthusiasts, they want their experience with their Heavenly Father to be rich in emotion. These are the people who want a date with God, right? They want to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their mind. The, the contemplative, the contemplative actually draws near to God through journaling, through personal devotion, through personal adoration, 
right, through the, the personal experience of actually um, being with their Heavenly Father, being in His presence. And then lastly is the intellectual. This is the person who draws near to God through their mind. This is, this is me. This is the one that I actually relate to um, the most. Now, if you know me at all, um, you know I, I love to be out in nature. I, I love to be out on Lake St. Clair on my boat, and I can sing really loudly. Um, I can play my worship music really loudly. It's just me and my Heavenly Father and no one else. But the thing that really fills me up and, and gets me excited about my faith, it's when I discover a new truth about who our Heavenly Father is. I love apologetics. I love C.S. Lewis. I love N.T. Wright. I love Norman Geisler. I love it when I can discover or rediscover or learn something new about Jesus through history, right? And then I subject you to it. And then, or when I, I discover something um, new about the, the Greek text that tells me something about Jesus, when that happens, that's when I actually feel most connected to Him. You know what the temptation for me is? where I can become judgmental and defensive. It's when I'm actually worshiping with other people, primarily from other churches who, 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 are, not, uh, who, are, who are much more emotionally wired up than I am. Um, and, and I see them, and I can very easily just think to myself, okay, well, you know what, I, I bet they don't have a very, um, they don't have a very informed faith. I'm, I'm sure of it. <laughs> Meanwhile, if they saw me, they would think, okay, well, that guy clearly doesn't have the joy of the Lord, right? Okay, because again, this is true for all of us, right? And again, these are, these are just, you might say, okay, I've got a tenth one or I'm some combination of the three. Um, these are, are just um, some things that Gary has observed. If you want to discover your own um, pattern, um, if you don't want to read the book or even if you do want to read the book, go to our website. We, we've put a short quiz um, at this place on our website. We're going to throw this into the chat system right now. You can download just a very short inventory that will help you understand your, your pattern. And it's also at that same place that you can find our 40-day prayer challenge. We really, really want you to participate in that. It's a great tool to help remind us not only to pray, but to pray for the people in our neighborhoods, our communities, our families who do not know Jesus. And over these next several weeks together, we are all going to experience, um, my hope is, we're going to experience a growth in the relational side of our personal relationship with Jesus through the deepening of our prayer life. And for some of us, if, if I'm honest, right, for some of us, we're going to struggle with this. If you're wired up a little bit the way that I am, this is actually going to take more effort for us than it is for other people. But this is so incredibly necessary if our faith is not going to simply survive but actually thrive. For others of you right now, you're thinking, okay, Joe, parking spaces. Are you telling me that I need to ask God for things like parking spaces, right? When I go someplace to shop and I get a good parking space, is that because I ask God for it? If I don't ask God for a parking space, does that mean I'm not going to get it? Or, or if there is a parking space and there's no one to park in it, does that mean the parking space even exists? Okay, the only thing I would say to all those kinds of questions, and I get it because I ask all these things all the time, all I know is this. The more I pray about things, the more I ask my Heavenly Father, the more things seem to happen. The less I ask for, the less I pray about, the less things seem to happen. 
And so my hope for all of us during this season of Lent is that one of the things that we will get a whole lot better in doing is asking our Heavenly Father to give us this day our daily bread, whatever that means for all of us. Because remember, the prayer, the promise, I should say, that your Heavenly Father makes to each of you is simply this. Come near to God, and He, He will come near to you. Heavenly Father, that's too formal. Dad, that's too awkward. Dad, thank you for pursuing us in such a way that you would never be content to allow people like me to hide, to, to put you in a box, to deceive ourselves and think that we've got you all figured out, that we know the system, we know the formula, we, we know what the rules are. Um, thank, thank, you for <laughs> thank you for making me look foolish when I think foolish things. And Dad, my prayer for all of us right now is that we would begin, maybe for some of us, to get really comfortable just asking and, and not get all caught up with if it's okay to ask or what's too big or what's too small or what can happen and what can't happen, that we, but we would just ask. And that we would just be reminded that because you're you and you're good, that you're just going to answer things the way that are best. And sometimes I don't like those answers, I'll be honest. And Father, sometimes I, I, I have actually stopped asking you for things because I've asked so many times, I've got tired of nothing happening, and so I just decided I, I wasn't going to ask anymore. And so, for Father, for all of us who feel that same way at times, who because of our sin and our anger and our frustration and our brokenness and our heartbrokenness, because we've turned away from you, Father, I ask you to forgive us. I ask that during these 40 days, as we prepare to celebrate the most amazing thing that has ever happened anywhere in, in history, that Easter Sunday would not only get to be a day where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, but we celebrate the resurrection for some of us of our faith, the resurrection of our hope, the resurrection of our trust in you as our good Father. Jesus, I pray that for all of us, 
when we're frustrated and scared and, and we just can't see what you're doing or what you're up to or when we give up hope because we just believe it's, everything's hopeless. Jesus, it's in those moments and it's in those feelings that I pray that for all of us, Holy Spirit, that you would um, bring these words to mind. And the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body. And then after supper, once he had given thanks, he took the cup and he gave it to them and he said, take and drink all of you. This cup is the new covenant. It's in my blood, which has been shed for the forgiveness of your sin. And whenever you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. So take and eat the body of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that has been given for you. And drink this cup, his blood, which has been shed for the forgiveness of your sin. And so you are truly forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen.